0: Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to StageCraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson. My guest this week, a return guest actually, is Sarah Gancher, the author of Russian Troll Farm a provocative comedy about Russia's efforts to affect the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. The show, which actually debuted online in a Zoom presentation in 2020, is currently scheduled to run through February 25th at the Vineyard Theater. Hello, Sarah Gantcher. Welcome back to StageCraft. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I gave a brief overview in my introduction, but would you tell listeners a little more about what
1: Russian Troll Farm is about? Russian Troll Farm is workplace comedy about workers working at the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg during the run-up to the 2016 election. I call it a workplace comedy that is not the whole story of the play. It very much starts out as a workplace comedy where there are sort of these trolls and they're having workplace rivalries and competing with each other for the attention of the new girl in the office and playing pranks on each other and all kinds of things like that. And then the play sort of mutates and changes into a bunch of different forms in different parts of the story. So there are four different parts of the play, every part is from a different character's perspective and every part is in a radically different style. So it really shape-shifts. Sometimes it's very funny, sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's sad. But it's all about our culture's addiction to storytelling and our need to find out what happens next, even if seeing what comes next might not be a really great idea.
0: (laughs) Where did you get the
1: idea for this play? During the 2016 election, I was very, very online. I was primarily on Facebook at that time. And I sort of started noticing that there were a lot of things happening on my feed that didn't make a lot of sense to me. There were sort of these posts that would appear in my feed that I didn't really understand what they were doing there or why I'm seeing this person (laughs) that were written in this kind of ungrammatical English that wasn't like how a normal American's post would be if they were not bothering that much with grammar. <laughs> so <laughs> I do like how I just said that completely ungrammatically. <laughs> 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 I feel like most of the time when people are <clears throat> writing incorrectly, they're writing the way that they speak, right? right? But this was sort of felt like space alien grammar, like who talks like this? And in fact, I actually thought for a while that it must be some sort of slang or, like, online trend that I just didn't (laughs) know about. And after a while, the news started coming out about how there were workers in this office in St. Petersburg that were being paid to influence American popular opinion and that were being paid to try to move the right further to the right, move the left further to the left, and to make everybody sort of feel as if... um, conversation is impossible collaboration is impossible democracy is maybe not such a great idea and uh, i just became really fascinated by the idea of this as a job i think largely because they're writing in character right they're like making up people they like have to come up with the whole little you know Mm. bio for the post they have to write in a convincing voice and then very often they are sort of staging fights with each other or sort of stirring up trouble to trying to get their audience involved emotionally, trying to make people angry, trying to make people indignant, trying to disgust people. It just occurred to me at one point, I was like, oh, I know why I'm so interested in this as a job. Because initially I was really like, this is disgusting, but also how much does it pay? Because I bet I'd be graded. <laughs> <laughs> um, And after a little while, I realized, like, oh, I know I'm so interested in this. They're playwrights. Hmm. And that was sort of the moment that I was like, I think I really want to write about this. I think I really want to write about what it's like to go into the office every day and pretend to be somebody that you're not in order to just trigger people and drive them crazy. Now, Um, your
0: play includes some actual tweets
1: and other postings. mm
0: -hmm. How did you do research for this play?
1: I I did so much research and closer to the twenty sixteen election, in the immediate wake of that, there were many more tools to find these online. There was a online dashboard that used to have like a complete collection of all of the documented Russian troll tweets from the twenty sixteen election. That dashboard has since been changed now it is just logging current state sponsored trolling that's happening online so it's just the just the posts that we really know right because there's plenty mm. of trolling that's happening online that we have no idea because it's so good it's very convincing we can't tell the difference right and it's not the whole point of it is to be stealth so of course the things that we actually know about or that are actually labeled are like a very very small tip of a huge iceberg but i you know i i spent days and weeks going through the database and you know doing searches on terms like say burn or bust or black lives matter or or build the wall just just every term that i could could think of and then it would you know every search would would bring back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tweets that i would sort of go through and look at and think like god i This is unbelievable. And, you know, I I also had a lot of fun sometimes going to specific troll accounts and, like, looking back through their post-history to the very beginning, which was fascinating, really, really interesting. Many of them were started as early as 2013, and for the first, you know, couple years of it, it was just gobbledygook. It was like magnetic poetry. There (laughs) were... there's this one account that i just became very attached to called jenna abrams that became during the 2016 election a sort of like a a a minorly famous kind of pundit account and that was you know being quoted by by people on the news and being cited and stuff like that people didn't know it was a russian troll account yet but if you go back to the earliest posts they they largely make no sense but then also sometimes they're incredibly poignant you know it's like a both silly and sad. Like, birds are lucky because they can see concerts for free. Hashtag USA. <laughs> or like, that night that we swam together in the sea and we looked at the fireworks and I knew that I loved you or something like that. <laughs> like, just just like that, you know? And most hauntingly, I'll never forget this, that there was one that just said, I don't belong here. Hmm. And uh, anyway, I, I just... It, it, that kind of research was also very inspiring for the play because like who's the person that's sitting there writing all of this? <laughs> and then Ferguson happens and, and you know all the all the demonstrations and, and the riots and so forth, it becomes a very, very pro black lives matter account for a while. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it starts talking about Putin and Russia and how we shouldn't provoke Russia. Then during, the, then the um, 2016 election starts up and out of nowhere it becomes extremely right-wing, extremely anti-feminist, extremely pro-Trump. And it, it's just, there's a kind of like a perceptual whiplash that happens, right? It, it's like, even though I know, that this is not really one person. It's different shifts of people who have different instructions on different days. Right. It's all attached to the same name. So my brain can't help but try to make up a story about how did this Black Lives Matter activist end up joining the Trump train, right? <laughs> but you know, even though it's not a person at all. And I'm just so interested in how how this type of online trolling, how creating a false consensus, really operates on us our brains in a in an animal on an animal level right that it is a type of propaganda that we we haven't had time to evolve defenses right. against it right and i i think for that reason it's incredibly effective and sometimes even when you know that something is fake and you know that it's not real it can still influence you because you have this impression that like oh my god look at what all my friends are saying
0: saw the zoom version of this play back mm-hmm. in 2020 and I wonder if you could talk about what were the challenges in translating it to the stage as it is now at the
1: Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always wanted this to be a stage play. I In late 2019 and early 2020, I was racing like mad to try to get a production-ready draft that could go up on stage before the 2020 election, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. Right. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. Oh, well. I was really lucky that Jared Mazzacci, the brilliant projection designer, Zoom theater genius, theater director, <laughs> multimedia artist came to me and said, do you have anything that might work well online? And I said, oh boy, do I? <laughs> because <laughs> right. in contemplating doing this on stage, I always thought, how am I going to do these tweets? Like, projection design, I don't know if that's exactly right. Maybe I should just write them on cardboard. Maybe I should have the audience say them. Like, what should I do? But when we did it online, of course, we could Twitter could just look like Twitter, Facebook mm-hmm. could just look like Facebook. And everything that happened online became the easiest thing to do online. Bringing it back on its feet, of course, that flipped right? So the things that are live in the office, you know are the, that's the easy stuff to stage and figuring out how to make um, the technological part of it interesting, exciting, involving, you know as as sort of pulse pounding as it can be online becomes the challenge. But I think that we have Jared doing our projections. So I think you know, he's done an, an incredible job. I've also done really a lot of streamlining. We have a opportunity with this production to try to reach as many people as possible. And I was given a challenge by my collaborators to try to make a version of this that would have the maximum welcome for people. So I've what do you mean cut by a that? lot off. I mean, that the online version, which I love passionately and I'm Mm -hmm. still very attached to, and I still really like that version of it. It's kind of, it's long, it's woolly, it's wild, it does all, (laughs) you know, kind of all these crazy things, it goes on all these like little diversions, and I was going to say it's all over the place, but also the play now still is all over the place. It still has that same spirit, it's still very kaleidoscopic, it still is really a, a wild ride, in fact, I would say it. It feels more roller coastery than ever in this version, but this version has been radically streamlined. It's 100 minutes, no intermission. You get on the ride and it just goes until you're off. So trying to make something that was going to feel biologically like as exciting, involving, interesting, like something always happening as possible for all of us together in the theater, that, that was kind of the challenge of, of this draft.
0: Were the changes um, primarily to make it shorter and more maybe audience friendly, or were there also changes because of the change in the outside world, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. right. You know the return of Donald Trump. What were some of the changes, and and. What prompted them?
1: Some of it certainly is to make it sort of audience friendlier, not only shortening it, but also I realized at a certain point that I was using this frame, phrase workplace comedy and that I could lean even more in the first part of it into the the rhythms and the shapes of, of office comedies like The Office mm-hmm. or Parks and Recreation and that that would be Really satisfying. This is a period piece. It is set in the 2016 election. And so much happened in that election that I think that even though we all lived through it, there is a sort of a sensation of like, oh, right, remember that? And I've put in a little bit here and there to update. Like, for instance, we just mentioned AI now. There's like sort of little moments like that. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, weirdly, this actually feels more relevant than it has ever felt, even in 2020 at this moment. So in that sense, I I really went into the revision looking for ways to make it feel more relevant. And I was like, I think, I think it's here already. And I think that also, another thing that feels good to me is the play is asking people to draw their own parallels between that election and this one. I mean, there's there are plenty. They're all over the place, right? But like, what you see in it is going to be different than what I see in it, different than what our neighbor will see in it. And I think that's right, and that's good. I'm really, really thinking a lot about how important it is for all of us to put on our critical thinking hats during this election, and to really think things through for ourselves and think through what we really believe the best thing would be for the country, you know? And I actually don't care really where people fall on that. You know what I mean? Everybody gets to think what they think and believe what they believe. I just want people to make sure that their thoughts are their own.
0: I want to go back a little bit to something you said uh, about the structure of the play and how... some of the narrative is told through the individual uh, characters, and each has a different approach to storytelling. And I'm wondering yes. how did you come up with that concept?
1: You know, it it came really naturally from the characters themselves. You know, I started thinking about when one works in an office and has an office job, like like what are all the sort of different types of people that that work there and thinking about like how, when you have an office job, everybody's got a totally different attitude to their job, right? One person mm. is, like, living their best life and comes to work every day super enthusiastic and, like, ready to take on the world. Somebody else has been there for 20 years and feels totally trapped and just wants to get through the day during, doing the bare minimum. And I think if you have a building full of writers, which essentially they are, that, how much – that it, it, that's even more pronounced. So we have – a, a new girl in the office who used to be a journalist who's coming in really focused on just making money. It's a very well-paying job and making enough money to get out of the country. There's a the supervisor in the office is a frustrated screenwriter who really wishes that he was writing movies, but instead is doing this and is sort of trying to work out some of his screenwriting ideas through trolling. We have an alt-right troll who really believes in the mission of trying to move the entire world further to the right and believes that he's that helping save the world. We have a, a sort of a very Vulcan programmer troll who uh, appears at first to be really just focused on making extraordinary numbers every day. And then we have a sort of a big boss of the office who was a QGB agent earlier in her career and really sees this more as, spycraft, the psychological warfare. Um,
0: I want you to talk uh, a little bit more about her, Luba, the former KGB person who in this production is played by Christine Lottie. She is such an interesting character and her part of the narrative is the most, at least for me, the most memorable and striking. Thank you.
1: Yes, I love that character and Christine is absolute marvel and a dream to work with. I always knew that I wanted one person in the office to be from an older generation and to be somebody that had like a completely different take on what they were doing than the, than the younger people. Originally I had actually imagined that there would be an older woman who would be kind of like wearing leopard print and fuzzy slippers and smoking a cigarette and who would be sort of like a grandmotherly figure that was really insisting that uh, trolling is just gossip in some way. But as I sort of thought about wanting to find a way to contextualize the work of this building this office within the greater framework of Russian history, I, I sort of realized you know, maybe this person used to be a KGB agent. Maybe they actually are, in, in some ways, still an intelligence agent. And it, because every act is from a different character's perspective and is in a different style, I thought, like, well, what would that character's act be like? And I thought, oh, it would be a Brechtian epic that would begin in Stalinist Russia and would end on uh, election night 2016. So this character has this real monologue. I mean, I, I privately think of it as as an aria that tells the entire story of her life and it was a joy to write the character really surprised me at every turn with what Mm. she told me about herself and it's it's really a joy uh to watch christine do this role i mean i wrote it and i always still get a little bit surprised at certain points Well, Luba's
0: story is a a very emotional one, but there's a lot of comedy. There's also a little rom-com element. Uh, Oh sure, yeah. (laughs) There's an entry point for lots of different audience members. And as you say, fortunately or unfortunately, still very relevant to the way we're living now.
1: Yes. A friend who came to see the show said something so beautiful to me the other night. She said, this, this show gives op- audiences an opportunity to be brave. Hmm. And I thought that was a gorgeous way to think about it. This play is set in a time period that I think a lot of people have sort of compartmentalized and decided not to look at. And it's, it's dealing with a, a lot of things that I think people find scary. I mean rightfully so. It is frightening, you know. But we are doing it with comedy, we're doing it with love, we're doing it with big ideas. I like many other people have been pretty anxious going into 2024 and I've been thinking a lot about like what the future holds for us over the next couple months. And I had a dream in which somebody said to me, "Curiosity is the cure for fear." and fear is the enemy of curiosity and it is my hope that people will feel like they learned something that they got got curious about new ideas that they have a lot to think about and a lot to spin them off into their own ideas and conversations and opinions you know i think it's a real conversation starter this this play
0: thank you for, for creating this conversation starter and thank you for talking with us about it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to me at jan at